0: To walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold ox, no takes the elk to call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod's roses, long on the brain.
1: I'm an outdoor trad quest podcast 2021. What is going on, Bob?
0: Oh, we're we're doing podcasts again. (laughs) I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, folks. We're back on the air. Uh, yeah, we just recorded a good one.
1: Yep. Steve Hohancy. Uh Steve, uh, I've been hearing about Steve since we started this podcast. I remember when we first started it, we were putting a list together, and I had talked to Norm Johnson, and he threw his name. Uh, he'd thrown his name out several times, and I'd kind of heard you know, about him through friends and whatnot so it was really cool to get him on and get to know him uh just another awesome guy
0: yeah yeah carson's been bugging us also uh yep for a long time to get him on and and uh, we finally did it and yeah just one of those guys it's just a bow hunting fool that's for sure so good interview he's uh he's been all over wyoming and alaska and and hunted hawaii and in all kinds of places so it's pretty africa
1: and awesome. yeah but all over the place yeah and he seems to seems to have found a way to to do a lot of cool uh exotic hunts if you will or adventure hunts and, and traveling to go cool places uh you know without you know being uh a uh, real rich guy or whatever. Just yeah.
0: On a budget. Just, you know, it's uh, on a budget. Yeah. You can tell he uses connections and just, you know, like you, you, and you guys will hear in the thing, just going for it. You know I mean? Maybe one time you, you try it out and you go to a place and you might not have picked the right spot, but then you meet a local or something. And the next time you go, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of keep working your way in. And he's kind of, kind of King of that, I think. So he's uh. Definitely a wealth of knowledge. We'll have to get him back on to tell some more stories because we just don't have time. Hour and a half.
1: Yeah, for sure. I imagine before the internet that, that networking was just a lot different. Yeah. Back then, I guess you were doing it more through the PBS or Comptons or, um, you know, some of these forums were probably big at one point. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome well um we hope you guys uh enjoy this one if you guys can think of anyone out there that you know is out there getting it done has a lot of experience hunting with the stick and string and really no one's ever heard of them uh we love digging up those interviews so hit us up at TradQuestPodcast podcast at com. uh anything else bob
0: No, uh, yeah, thanks for Patreon supporters. Get on there and sign up if you guys haven't. We got three tiers. There's lots of, lots of good discounts on there. Um, Sherwood shafts, addictive archery, Matt Webb's bush vests and big stick archery, liberty longbows. Uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff for the different tiers. So we appreciate you guys' support and, uh, Hopefully we'll just keep on rolling. This is the second one we've done in a week. This is the record. So this is
1: We're on we're on fire. And I think we've got a really cool one lined up for next week. So
0: Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do.
1: I hope you guys enjoy these and here you go, Steve Hohensey, TradQuest Quest Podcast. Steve Hoensey.
2: I want hey, you said it right. All
1: right. I was wondering if I if I could nail that right. This is uh, James Orr. And James, God, hey how are you podcast. doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us.
2: No problem. Um, the, the your voice is a little bit computerized sounding, so hopefully I can hear you how, guys okay.
1: How how does it sound to you, Bob?
0: Uh, you you sound good to me. Steve, this is Bob. How, can you hear me okay? Do I hey, sound Bob. computerized? Yeah, yeah
2: I, can, I can I can sound you just a little bit hear you just a little bit better.
0: Okay, good, good. Yeah, James is on a headset in his car because he's got a bunch of kids in the house, so that might be why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, about the same thing for me. I'm in downtown recluse, population seven. There's a little herd of mule deer. I just had one get to 20 yards. Oh, there's a buck at, at 17 yards.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> sounds, sounds like the place to be.
2: Yeah, it's a little little breezy, but... Um, I'm I'm in the cab of my truck. So we we've, we've got crappy phone service where I live, so um to to do a good call you ha- you have to go somewhere else. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> 2021. Uh, you're, in, you're in Wyoming? Steve? Yeah, so I I uh lived in Alaska for the last 18 years. Uh retired recently and so I've been in Wyoming for about a year and a half, almost 2 years. Okay.
1: Um, what, what, what did you do for a living and how did you end up, uh, I guess, how did you start bow hunting and, you know, work us, work us into Alaska, I suppose.
2: Well, so the big question is, is the tape running already? I don't even know. (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: It's, it's Uh running. It's running.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) um, so I grew up in small town, Nebraska on the east, east side of Nebraska and, uh, um, somewhere along the line, I was—I made it out to Wyoming, and uh, uh, my office got shut down. I ended up in a big city further east. Hated it, and finally, I got an opportunity. I've uh, got a master's in geology, so I—I uh, I, uh, took a big pay cut and headed north to Alaska, and I was there for eight years working on mining projects, and uh, I was able to live modestly enough that i was that i put enough away that i was able to retire early at 56 and uh um it was too much rain too much of the year and and so uh, my wife and i moved relocated to uh, north northeast wyoming little community called recluse we're out in the sticks we're almost to the montana border uh it's it's kind of that rim rock country powder river breaks with uh Juniper and uh, ponderosa pine and open rim rock and everything. Mule deer, elk, antelope. I just had a sharp-tailed grouse land in front of me, um, and uh, like I said, there's a mule deer herd that's uh, kind of feeding my way through this small little little kind of not really a community, but it's uh, there's a post office and a couple people live here.
1: Wow, it sounds like the land of milk and honey.
2: So, um, I, I I started with bow and arrow. When I, I remember having a little hickory bow with suction cups when I was probably four years old, and then uh, somewhere along the line, my my uh, a couple of my buddies, when oh gosh, I was probably like nine or ten years old, somebody gave their dad a bow. And, for them, they were twins, and uh, I I raced home and told my my dad, and he said, "Oh, I found an arrow, uh, stuffed in the back uh, behind the car seat." So I went running out there, and sure sure enough, I had the arrow, they had the bow, and it and it went from there. So soon, you know, back in back in the day, you saved up your birthday money, and uh, I bought my own little <laughs> fiberglass stimler bow, and and uh, I was probably I don't know, 10 or 11 at the time. Went from there.
1: Wow. Did, so was your, uh, did your dad do any kind of hunting where you started off with him hunting or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he grew up on a farm in in Southeast Nebraska. And so, you know, uh, hunting cottontails was pretty much putting food on the table back in the back in the day um he he was not a bow hunter but a gun hunter and we had uh Brittany spaniels when I was growing up so we we did some pheasant hunting um on my both grandparents farm in Nebraska okay
0: so how do you Steve how do you grow up bird hunting and end up being obsessed with traveling i've looked at your senior pictures traditional bow hunter and all that stuff over the years and now you put yourself out on instagram and everybody can see like you've pretty much hunted everywhere just about in the world (laughs) and all with a longbow it looks like for the most part like how do you go from growing up you know being a bird hunter and being surrounded by rifle hunting and all that to being obsessed with uh chasing critters with a longbow
2: well, I uh I I probably have been my my first animal I ever got was a barn pigeon and followed that up with a cottontail pretty quick and that that was once again I was probably 10 or 11 years old and then you had squirrels and every once in a while and and just at, I was single for until I was in my 40s so I was pretty much free to do what i wanted to when i wanted with constraints of course on (laughs) on leave from work and budget but i'm uh pretty pretty good at spotting opportunities and uh figuring a way out how to do things not just by spending money but looking for those opportunities um that are they're out there you just have to Watch for them and, and, uh, you know, I slowly expanded and, uh, I, some of the big hunt, back in the day, I probably would do one bigger hunt per year, you know, something like caribou. This is like early, early 90s where I, you know, out of school, got a full time job and, and able to do a little bit more and slowly build up, um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I've I don't know if I've hunted all over the world, but I have hunted a couple times in some far off places, Mongolia for ibex and uh, South Africa once, um, Puerto Rico, uh, the Isla Mona trips. Um, if, if you've heard of those, where we did a couple exploratory uh, hunts back in the back in the oh gosh late 90s, I guess it was. Um, and then, uh, I was just getting ready to go to New Zealand. I was working on planning a trip and I got the opportunity to move to Alaska. And it's like, I think I'll do that instead. And then, uh, um, you know, greatly got to expand what I was doing, uh, places I got to go. There's, you know, I've, I've hunted all over Alaska, not just the same place over and over, but I was pretty constantly trying. to. New spots and new areas, so there's not too many corners of Alaska I haven't been in.
0: Yeah, Alaska's incredible. I I, I went up there for the first time and to Kodiak this year, and just flying over is just you know for us down here lower forty-eight guys that there's roads all over, and man, there's just as far as you can see mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, it, it is wild place. <laughs>
2: And that, and that's just a little spot, you know, you compare the size of Kodiak Island to all the Southeast Alaska and it's like, Oh, that's really not that big, Yeah. And Ugh. but it's big <laughs> and, and wild. Um,
0: yeah. It's incredible. The bears are huge too. <laughs> that's for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, uh, I like to hunt brown bears, but what I did is I, I always hunted somewhere where they didn't average as big, so you didn't get quite as intimidated when you when you started sneaking up to one. That's especially important when you're solo and uh, probably minimally armed besides a longbow, which I, I probably hunted brown bears, oh gosh, eight or 10 times, and uh, probably five or six of those were solo. So you have to go about it in a different attitude. What, what I would do is if there was two bears together, they were off limits. You had to learn how to read the bears and what they were doing. You wanted one that thought they were cattle and they're feeding on, you know, grazing on grass. And uh, you, you just, you wanted to make sure you had one with the right attitude, not one that looked mean uh, never two together because you'll, you you want to focus on that one bear. So that was extra important when I did my solo hunts. And I've been very, very close dozens and dozens of times with brown bears uh, on, on solo trips where I probably only had my 10 millimeter at my side. At first, I was carrying a 375 H and H, and it was just really awkward because you've got a defensive weapon in your one hand, and you've got your offensive weapon in your other hand, and your it was just kind of a it it got in the way mentally of you needing to how you think to get those really close range opportunities.
0: And and did you like going in the spring over the fall or what was what was your
2: preferred? uh, So there's so many uh, different species to hunt in the fall. So I always tried to do a spring hunt um, in May, and it was the fall. The fall really turns to crap weather in Alaska, uh, and. The good thing about spring is a lot of times you get really nice breaks uh, with really good weather. So it's just really nice. Everything's coming back to life. You've been, uh, you know, tucked away in, in the darkness and in the snow and the in the rain in southeast uh, for for months and you're itching to get out. It's just a really great time to be out so i i hunted um mostly on chichigoff island which is one of the abc islands in the the northern part of southeast alaska and uh there's a lot of really high density of of bears in those areas uh, where i went so i always went at the very end of the season so probably 10th or 20th of may where more bears are popping out, yeah, you get a few rubbed. Um, maybe a few more smaller bears, but it was more important for me for stock opportunities. Then I wasn't just looking for a big bear; I just wanted the opportunities and the to do multiple stocks at uh, on any given day. They're uh, pretty, they're pretty sly, so it's hard to get cl- close to them. Um, but but you sh- you sure can do it.
1: So you were actually picking spots that had smaller bears to to be less intimidating. Well, it's, that was the goal.
2: Yeah, or? that's just kind of the way it worked out. But but uh, okay. that, not that there aren't really large bears there. I I uh, got within about oh, 35 or forty yards of a of a ten foot bear on, on Chitagoth one spring, and that is an absolute monster for that part of the world. And uh, he was. He was heavily rubbed. I had my sixty uh, six pound osage self bow at the time, and i had been it's like, oh gosh, this is almost the exact range that I've been practicing caddy corner across my lot in my at my place in Juneau. It's like I think I can make this shot, but there's no way I'm going to. He is absolutely huge, <laughs> and he walked by there there was nothing between me and him other than six foot uh, sedge. He walked over to another bear that I was had been watching. It was about a hundred yards away. It turned out as a big sow, and he bred her in front of me. That was cool.
1: <laughs> wow! Wow! So, is the fear of of him real, uh, inflicting pain on him, and him realizing it came from you? Is that being that close and not wanting to shoot? Is that
2: thirty? 40 yards is outside of my range (laughs) i am a an extremely close range guy uh yeah no i thought you
1: said you were closer okay
2: yeah i was like 35 to 40 yeah yeah oh yeah i know yeah um so yeah so you want to hear a close range story so, so one. I, I'd like to hear a closer <laughs> <end> story. <laughs> so, I thought so. So, so there was one day. Uh, I don't know if this was the same or a different hunt. Um, there, there's this huge uh, bay with uh, it would be covered with four, four to eight feet of water at a high tide. But when the tide pulls out, you would have oh, maybe half to three quarters of a mile wide and about a mile or so uh, deep, but it would be, you know, uh, like a mud flat with some sedge and stuff. So I spotted these two bears. There was kind of like a medium one and a smaller one over on the far side. So I, I always use a small inflatable boat to get around. I park that sucker and make this big, huge loop. And there's this river that goes through this tidal flat. So I, I pick a spot and wade and just barely make it. Actually, water goes over the top the last few steps and, and down into my, my hip boots. And uh, So I, I climb out of the river channel and dump my boots and go on my stock. So I get over there, and it all, the, the Fred bear, you know, where he's tucked behind the rock and the bear's coming down the, the, down the shoreline that almost never happens. I've watched dozens, hundreds of bears and almost never does that happen. So what you want to do is get in the wood line and get adjacent to them. And then when they feed, they usually feed out from the woods and stay in a little patch and they usually go back into the woods. And so what I would do is get, go down the wood line and get um, adjacent to them and when they would feed back hopefully you're gonna they're gonna be close enough and you can get a shot at that point point. and so i do this and all of a sudden i'm in position all of a sudden the the, the bigger bear starts chasing the small bear and i l- peek around this tree that i'm tucked behind and all of a sudden i realize oh crap He's coming right at me. So what do I do? Do I pull my pistol or do I knock an arrow? So knowing me, I knock an arrow and this bear comes into the woods at four yards (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, he just didn't hold still. I I never did see the medium sized bear again. I don't know where he went, but I thought he was going to be coming right after him and come right over the top of me. So a little while later after the excitement was, was gone, I, it's like, well, it's getting dark, so, you know, at that time of year, it's, oh gosh, 10 o'clock or something at night. So I go back across, I get back to the river to cross it, and I can't get across because it's been raining upstream. And the ri- this little river is swollen, and it's like, there's no way I can get across that sucker. So back about... Uh, actually right within a few yards of where I was tucked behind that tree, there was an old, uh, probably a trapper's cabin that had collapsed, but one of the, one of the corners was still kind of upright. So I went in there, tried to light a, light a fire. My, my only lighter was frozen up and I couldn't, couldn't get it to, to work. So I was soaking wet. Uh, remember the water came over my boots Oh. So I tucked away in that little piece of that trapper's cabin until about four in the morning uh, when it got light enough. And, you know, it was low tide again. So I realized that I, if I went way out in front, what happens is it's kind of like a delta. So the river splits. So by crossing 10 smaller channels, I was finally able to get back across and and uh, get back to my boat.
0: <laughs> Rough night. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah that was a very, very cold, miserable night, yes
1: i Bob talked about being over there with the bears. I couldn't imagine going out there by myself pursuing the bears that uh that that's a uh, next level right there, Steve
2: yeah great fun, <laughs>
1: great fun I imagine it makes mm-hmm. you feel alive for sure, yeah,
2: yeah. You want another, excuse me, you want another bear story?
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay. <laughs> I thought you guys might. <laughs> so, uh, it was, oh gosh, this was probably about 2000 and I don't know, fourteen, fifteen. my, uh, buddy Preston Lay, he's a highway patrolman from Oklahoma came up to moose hunt and we were out by Iliamna, uh, Dillingham actually. And, um, we, uh. We heard or saw a moose across this flat. We were up on a high knob, and so we went down there. And uh, Preston was going to call. And this was this area is absolutely loaded with brown bears, but it had a pretty good moose population. And so Preston has a 375 and and uh, moose call, and uh, we get right on the edge of these willows. And there's a little strip of willows between us, so he can't really see me. So he starts calling. And, uh, in a few minutes, he hears, we hear this, uh, thrashing of the brush and Preston's like, oh yeah, moose is coming. So he doesn't want to spook it. So he lays down on his back just to keep a low profile. And I'm, I'm probably 20 yards from him and I've got a little more Alaska experience than Preston at this point, And I'm like, I don't hear any, uh, brush. Uh, hitting on a moose rack this i don't think this is going to be good and so i'm i'm uh back in that do i pull my pistol or knock an arrow so i knock an arrow and it's like uh this is not going to be good nine foot brown bear shows up in the uh willows about oh, 15 yards from me and i'm looking for a, a shooting lane to to work my arrow through there and just that last little bit, you can see the bear's eyes roll over and he he spots me and thank God he left because he was big (laughs) (laughs) and and Preston, Preston still, still thinking I've got a moose, you know, a few yards away from me. I'm about ready to get a shot at a moose. So that, that one was probably the biggest pucker factor that I've, I've ever had. It was just a big bear and he just, you know, had that look in his eye that it could have, could have gone bad real quick. So that, yes. that, that one's probably best that he ran off.
1: <laughs> have have you ever shot at one and, and had him react negative towards you?
2: Bears? Absolutely not. Um, I, I have, I've killed two brown bears with my longbow. The first one was in 2009 on a, on a solo hunt. And, uh, it went, oh, the sh- I think the shot on that one was 13 yards. It went one yard and fell over dead. Wow. I, <laughs> it's like, huh, you have to write that spot down. Uh, my, uh, my second one, um, was shot at 17 yards in probably 2017, I would guess. And it, it, probably went I don't know 70 yards or something but it was just uh, the classic double lung like like uh, you know a typical shot on a deer would do where they do a quick burst and all over um, that's I, I have not every every brown bear that I've had has just they when they know you're there they want to get away from you. It's like, humans, humans, no good. I'm, I'm too close. I'm getting away. So I, I think different bears in different areas react differently. in, in that one in, in Dillingham that time, I, I did not have the experience with though that population of bears at that time. So I, I didn't have a good feel for, is that the same reaction that they would do? I, I knew that was kind of the, the, predominant reaction i get when i hunt on chichikov so um i i did uh a year after i got my first bear in 2009 there's a the limits one every four years so one of my buddies um up there i took him to my same spot we got on a uh eight and a half foot four right away the first first evening of the hunt and uh he shot it and got one lung and it was coming um, back into the wood lines right over the top of us. And I had to make the decision. Uh, I was the, a rifle bearer on that trip and, and it's kind of the guide. And I had to make the decision to, um, to administer lead. And at 10 yards, you know, it was coming in our direction. I don't think necessarily he, that bear knew that, that, We were there and he was charging, but he was coming over the top of us. So there was really no choice in that, in that instance. Uh, turned out it was a 15 year old or eight and a half foot is, is a pretty, pretty healthy, um, bear for that, for that area.
1: What kind of physical weight do you think a bear like that is?
2: Oh, that one in the spring was probably. Oh, maybe 600, definitely over 500, probably 600, something, something like that. They're, you know, they, they have a pretty long, long winter where they're not getting much and we're, we're hunting them, you know, pretty quick after they've come out of their den at high elevation and, and they work down, down to the, uh, the beaches pretty quick and get those sedges in those flats.
1: Are they edible in the spring?
2: no no (laughs) if if my experience with bears if they've eaten fish had fish in their diet anywhere that year they're probably not going to be edible copy um yeah so uh yeah some of the i've I've always heard some of the interior grizzlies when they're not on a fish stream which some, some of those fish runs get way up in there but uh that that they can be really good and you know it's believable. I've had some of those uh, bears, black bears, that have been on berry patches and they're phenomenal. Even yeah. even I got a big boar a couple years back and uh, it was in the spring. But what happened is the the snow covered when there was lingonberries still on the on the bushes on the real low uh, bushes. The snow melted and the bears were finding berries from the previous fall and, and gorging on them. And oh, they, those bears were good. Oh wow!
0: Okay. So with it? Uh... Gonna...
2: Go ahead. You, you guys want to talk about a different species for a while?
0: Yeah, we better we're getting scared of the bears already. So <laughs> Oh,
2: there there's more than one species of bears, guys. Come on. <laughs> you want you want a good black bear story? <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah. One more bear story. I know you got a million stories and we could probably <laughs> go on for days. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, so uh, it was probably the first year that I was a resident. Uh, a, a buddy lived in Fairbanks. We, we hunted a small pocket of, of sheep, and we, we canoed into this area, and, but then we split up. Uh, while he was off killing a 38-and-a-half-inch ram with huge bases, <laughs> I was floundering around trying to find a pocket of sheep. I was into some the day before the season, but they left. So I'm trying to get into this other pocket and packing in and uh, thrashing around in the brush. I've got a long hike. And I look over and I see this big black bear. And then I realize he's stalking me. A <laughs> <That> little <old> crap. <laughs> so I took personal offense at it. So I quick took my pack off. I've got a, a takedown longbow. I'm getting that sucker strung up. And an arrow out of this tube I've got strapped to my pack he's at 10 yards and just kind of starting to circle me and just in the la- you know, is probably about three seconds away from, from him getting hit with an arrow and, and he's like, I don't think some, something's not quite right here. This is about a moose or a caribou. And he, he, he wandered off. So he was a 350 pound uh, black bear. He was, plenty big. And this was an area where the black bears are known to be extremely aggressive. So that was, that was probably actually one of my, my bigger deal, um, bear stories right there.
1: Okay. Huh? So you mentioned, uh, that, you know, you've gone on a lot of these trips, um, and that you've been able to find a way to do it. And if you look hard enough, like maybe tell us a little bit about that, like how you pick these adventures and, and plan them and you know maybe give us a little more information on that
2: uh so so i I probably just look for opportunities where you can do it yourself on and and just not spend a lot of money and uh some of my you know pretty good trips have actually happened in in on the hawaiian islands you've guys have seen a few of the photos that i've on instagram lately um it it was really convenient from alaska to get to hawaii it was the the easiest place to fly to other than seattle and who wants to go to seattle right (laughs) Right. so so i could i could get a i just had a doe mule deer come and pose and he's she's watching me from about 10 yards away (laughs) so sorry i got distracted uh so so by by getting um cheap flights out of, uh, I lived in, uh, Juneau for the first eight years in Alaska. And then I lived in a small community called Moose Pass. It was on the Kenai Peninsula, about a little over a hour and a half off out from, uh, Anchorage. And especially from, from Anchorage, you could get pretty affordable flights, uh, to the Hawaiian islands. And, uh, if you do kind of, do it yourself kind of thing and figure out how the system works in those public lands. Or I got lucky and, and met a few people from Hawaii and it's like, Oh yeah, come over hunting um, where you're, you know, going out with locals in spots that they've hunted their whole lives. Um, you know, they, they know where to look for the game and win, but there, there's some good public spots and, and some of the islands too. So I would go most years that I lived in Alaska, I would, go once a year especially at the end and then occasionally i'd even go twice a year just um where i would go for 10 days and and just hunt hard take lots of arrows and every not every trip you would really get into them heavy but every once in a while you would you would find spots where animals were just thick just target rich environments and and it's just a lot of fun especially the goats um when you get into a spot where there's the feral goats, there can there can be lots of them, and it's just um, you get way more opportunity for uh, shooting than you, than you would on an average North American hunt. So, uh, just a lot of fun. Um, usually did it Something. during the winter, the winter months when you know you need a when you're living in Alaska, you need that break from the darkness and you need to get out, stretch your legs. So done a lot of a lot of those hawaiian hunts
1: that's on um, my bucket list <clears throat> for sure i have a few friends over there and mm-hmm. it seems like a pretty awesome place yeah. to go bow hunting yeah
2: so other other than the forbidden islands and the you know the privately owned ones and the there's yeah there's one small one i only can't even remember the name that i i think lanai. i've hunted all of them but uh, no i've hunted lanai. Uh, there, there, it's a smaller than island than that. Molokai. I don't think you're even. No, I've it in Molokai too. Okay. I've um, okay. Lanai, Molokai, Kauai, Big Island, uh, Maui, and like I'm forgetting one. <laughs> uh, I have not been Oahu, favorite? but mm. if you can get a good spot on the Big Island, on um, it, it's it's got a lot of diversity of animals there so i ended up usually go in the more recent years going to kawaii because i had a public spot where i could just go on my own and i didn't really have to rely on on one of the locals and their schedules so it's just nice to go do my own thing so um some of some of the public areas in hawaii are weekend only so you got to really figure out how to work around that because, you know, you obviously don't want to go over there and sit around and do something like go to a beach for five days. So (laughs) (laughs) at least I don't. (laughs) So
1: how do you get around that just by being able to hunt private during the week or?
2: Uh, so, so yeah, mixing it up with that. Or when I hunted the Nepali coast trail, uh, you could do that any three consecutive days. So it it didn't matter that it was a weekend. So I would try to plan it where I could hunt one of these other spots, like on the weekend and then the Nepali coast trail. And I promise you, when you come off of the Nepali, you're going to want at least one full day to recover because it's it's surprising uh how hard physical. i mean it sounds like it's a tropical island and you're hunting under palm trees but that's not the case it's rugged it's steep uh long long distance it's yeah it's (laughs) it's rough it's a tough hunt
1: i i went there oh it's been 20 years or so for my honeymoon and no hunting involved but um, I did go to I did go to the base of that trail and and climb up it a little bit and and it, it's it's some rugged country for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Waimea Canyon uh, has an open season, but it's only part of the year, and I, it might be weekends too. So if you can time a trip where uh, you get into Waimea Canyon, that, that would be another good one to to add. And it, you really have to time it on Hawaii between them doing uh, eradications, you know by gun hunts and and helicopter shooting. Um, if you can time it around, around those where they haven't done one of those for a while, then you can really, really get into the critters.
1: Okay. That makes sense. So they, it's a cycle of them doing that. And then they come back. Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Makes a big difference. Kind of like, kind of like the, the Kodiak hunting on, on the winter kills. If you, I, I hunted, uh, a couple times where there hadn't been a big winter kill in a while and had some fun hunting. But then, the uh, I think the third year we went, uh, we had a nice group and, um, it, there probably was 98% winter kill in that, in that, um, in that bay and, After three days, it's like I don't think I want to shoot a deer, even if I see one. That's that's what they need to (laughs) repopulate. Shoot the last one. (laughs) It was was horrible. Instead of instead, yeah, instead of ten deer for our group or whatever we would get, uh, we had one guy shot a doe. That was it for that trip, and it was just horrible winter kill. And uh, so, yeah, the cycles you got to take advantage there's not those opportunities when when they're available and it and that's kind of a good point there's a a few kind of classic traditional bow hunts over the over the decades that have come and gone the the k caribou uh up in northwest territories is one of those it was such an awesome place uh you, you go and you Boat and there's just huge groups and lots of stocks and now that whole herd has kind of crashed and, and you know the Quebec caribou thing where the I don't know if it's all the herd crashing or if some of it's politics too can't do that anymore um there was a spot in uh, some buddies went to in in Zimbabwe about oh gosh 20 25 years ago, I think it was called Humani and there were elephants that would go by the blind, just sounded like a phenomenal place. And that's, that's one of the places that I wish I would have gone and didn't get to and really kicking myself because I don't know, maybe the ranchers were, were, you know, probably driven off their their property and maybe murdered for who, for all I know. I know that happened a lot over there a few years back.
1: So uh, when when you hear hear about something, start making plans.
2: Yeah. Tomorrow. Uh, don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't come.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Someday doesn't come. Yeah.
1: So what? Uh, all these adventures. Uh, what's what's your go to now, or has that changed? Like, what, what do you what do you uh, look for 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 the next year? I mean. What, so what, uh, yeah, my what,
2: what, my life definitely changed. Uh, two two years ago when I retired and moved out of Alaska. So you know, uh, a lot of the species that I hunted up there, those aren't the species we have here. I uh, my wife and I were able to buy a a small ranch. And when I when I say a ranch in Wyoming, is anything over 40 acres. (laughs) So we're over 40 acres for sure. So we got a small ranch, but the beautiful thing about ours is it backs up to about a thousand public acres that's landlocked. So I've never seen anybody back there. (laughs) Kind of of, of like buying um, uh, 1100 acres for a price of a hundred kind of thing.
0: Uh, So
2: we have, Mule deer year round. We have elk, black bear, mountain lion. Um, we're in one of the best antelope areas in the in the country, but they're we've only ever seen one on our property, but they're they're miles away. We're only about two and a half miles from Montana, and uh, got so I can I can hunt both wyoming and montana the the white tails that we have they move in in may and this has happened the last two years still trying to figure out what's going on they move in in may and the first week in september they leave so if you don't get one by about the you know week into september they're simply gone i i don't know if they're going up into montana Summer. Um, on Summer the feed uh, pattern. Irrigate, irrigated fields on the Powder River or what they're doing. I have no idea, huh. but all I know is we had a whole bunch of spikes a year ago, and this year we had a whole bunch of little 80-inch uh, 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 eight points. <laughs> so they grew a year. <laughs> so ho- hopefully we'll have a whole, whole bunch of 130-inch deer running around next year.
1: <laughs> oh, fun.
2: uh so yeah we have elk but they're they're kind of patchy and they uh they they kind of seem to travel through in the middle of the of the night and i don't know they're somewhere deep back there's about an eight mile set of hills it's about oh gosh 30 miles long with powder river breaks where it's pretty pretty rugged and ponderosa juniper they're back in there and they move through down into the fields that might come through us, I guess. Um, we actually, I didn't realize this when I bought the property because I just didn't see much sign. There must've been a winter kill, but we actually have lots of Merriam's turkeys and, and so historically, I haven't really been much of a turkey hunter, but I'm ramping up on that. I got a couple this fall. Uh, I got a nice tender young hen and, um, then I got a smoke phase uh, tom um, later in, in September. It's kind of it's just a color phase of a of a turkey is kind of a kind of a silverish bluish gray color. Huh. Interesting thing. First I thought it was like a them. domestic mix, so I was trying to take it out of the population. And when I got it, then I started doing a little more research and realized it was what they call a smoke phase. Oh, so I, some I, of those feathers? I did get, uh, always the wing feathers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got a couple turkeys on my, on my property and I got a doe whitetail this year. So it was, it was nice getting something on the first time I ever got something on land. I owned At the most I've ever owned in the past is about two acres. So it just, uh, never really worked out. I had much opportunity for that before. So that was a, that was nice. Um, we have, we have a decent bear population. It it seems for a dry area like we, like we have. Um, so I'll, I'll be hunting antelope and, uh, and, uh, mule deer i have not really honed in on on a good elk spot um yet i'm trying to trying to refigure things out down here uh there's a lot more competition i lived in in wyoming for a couple years in the early 90s and it was a little easier to get on game back then now now there's just so so many more people out there in archery seasons getting crowded out there too huh well i'm sorry i didn't hear you
1: I said it's getting crowded out in Wyoming as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, you, especially in the archery seasons, and unfortunately, Wyoming allows crossbows, so that does not help the situation out at all. Yikes! Happy.
1: So uh, now it sounds like you're retired and living in the milk land of milk and honey, and hunting right from home. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, no, no, no more, no more trips planned for a while, or?
2: Well, um, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to, to see what, what happens here in the next couple of days, if you know what I mean. We're, uh, right. we're a little, yeah, <laughs> between, between all the virus stuff and uh, the political atmosphere, um, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. Uh, if if everything calms down a little bit, my my uh, one of my best buddies, uh, Bill Bubba Grays from uh, Texas, his son-in-law lives in, and daughter live in uh, Alaska, so he will be able to hunt brown bear with his son-in-law um, as his quote-unquote guide. So right now we're talking about going back to the uh, same spot from before that we've been in the past. He, he went with me the last two trips and was kind of a combination gun bearer and uh, cinematographer. And uh, actually, I don't, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or have seen it, but we actually put a couple, I don't know if they're about 12, 15 minute videos together from, uh, from the two trips we did. I think it was 16 and 17. Uh, if you go to YouTube and longbows at low tide, there's okay, two cool. different volumes. So go check it out. The second one, unfortunately, is a little hard to find, but the first one is is pretty findable. Okay. Got some, um, pre- long got some pretty good. At low tide. Yeah, longbows at low tide. Okay, I'm going to check that out.
1: I just thought of a great idea by talking to you guys. My, I got three daughters. My oldest one's uh, going to be 17 this year. I've got to get her married off to Alaska. That's right. <laughs> I just, it just dawned on me. I just did the
2: math just now. As you were saying that, yeah. I am like, it, t- it took you long enough.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I know my wife doesn't let me. And that's there, the kind of that's you. the kind of opportunities you got to look for. You know. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm already planning. I got a two year plan. I'm going to put in place now. Mm-hmm. And there's more men you, in the you guys don't
2: women, you so. guys don't even know what my favorite game animal to hunt is, though, do you? No, we don't really mountain goats, absolutely, mountain, but it's yeah. a young man, it's the young man's thing, you know with... um my, my old man knees, it it doesn't, I can go up pretty well going downhill is absolute hell on them. Uh, yeah, I hunted mountain goats most years. I, it it all started for me when I lived, uh, in the lower 48, uh, back in the, oh, most of the nineties and all the nineties. And, and I drew a Colorado goat tag in 1998 and it was all over for me then. and, and, Uh, so when I, when I moved to Alaska, it was goat, goat hunting was, was number one pretty much and uh, usually got into them pretty well. Um, I, I had the horrible habit of picking, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go goat hunting on September 1st through the 8th, you know, and then I would, it would be, I'd get out of bed on September 1st, my gear would be packed, and I'd look outside, it'd be pouring rain, there would be fog down to 200 feet, and where you knew there was a goat mountain yesterday, there wasn't a goat mountain anymore, it was just a, a wall, you couldn't see anything. I had horrible luck picking the week where the fog would roll in, <laughs> and that that saved more goats <laughs> than anything. I did I did manage to kill a couple nice billies um during my time but uh but yeah the fog definitely definitely saved
0: yeah flying saved a few flying more. into kodiak you know man there seemed like uh, i mean I don't know anything but man it sure did seem like there was a lot of goats man every big mountain seemed like there was a group of goats on it and Oh, I just was thinking to myself the whole time. I was like, if I lived here, I could hunt those every year. Oh my goodness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they live there and not be obsessed with it. Yeah. Another problem with goat hunting is you're you're probably starting out at sea level, and it is the most unimaginable thrash through brush um, for five, six, eight hours just yeah. to break out into the Alpine, it is absolute nightmare um, to get into a lot of a goat country. What it seems, you know, you, you take off and you you fly over and it's like, oh yeah, you just go up that ridge and it's just, it's just an intertangled mess to do it. And so, so getting up to them, because uh, you, you don't have Alpine lakes in a lot of that goat country where you can land Uh, get dropped off with a plane so i don't know maybe i have not hunted goats on kodiak maybe there's a a few more spots where you can do that but but where i hunted in in uh, northern southeast alaska most of the time that simply was not the case and it was go down a, a trail or get dropped off by plane at sea level or occasionally boat in at sea level and uh and go up and so.
0: and so most of, the, so when you did those hikes and you got up above timberline, um, so, you know, kind of like, it's probably similar to the Prince of Wales, Alp, you know, like early season blacktail stuff. But once you yeah. got up there, were you good? I mean, you had enough above high country to hunt for your whole hunt or did you have to then go back down and go up the other, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much if you're going to. Go up through that stuff and get up to the alpine. You won't have a. You would have to be a superhuman to be able to, to go back down and then go up to um, back through it again to another uh, alpine complex. It it takes that much out of you that you know. Yeah, it would be. I can't even imagine doing that twice back to back. <laughs> yeah, so. One, one area that when so, I started hunting was, it, it was, you, you had to kind of be patient and not just, you know, go all over it. You might, you might watch, um, a Billy, uh, you know, three billies in a group for a couple days and they're just kind of somewhere where you can't really get to. And then all of a sudden it's like, it seems like those are three buddies and they hang together, right? No, that one gets up and he. <laughs> and he leaves and goes somewhere else and does something else. And uh maybe he just moved into a, a spot where you can you can get a stock and and uh you know there was this one this one nice ridge but there was this kind of really sharp cut in it that um that I don't think I could have gotten across it. What what tended to happen is I always were was into enough goats. On the side I was on, and there was a bigger mountain over there. Occasionally, I'd see goats on it, but uh, I don't think I could have got to it. But I, luckily, the times that I was over on the uh, on the main ridge, uh, there was enough goats to keep me occupied, and so I I never had to push and try it. <laughs> but I I have gotten into some really bad bad spots in goat country before. That's definitely my uh, my closest calls with with death. I've been in in uh, goat country for sure. There's no doubt about oh. that. Can you share a story with us? <laughs> I was thinking about one particular spot. So so one of my best buddies is uh, Ben Penny. He's uh, much younger than me. He's a uh, Dennis and Juno now, and he had gotten a really nice Billy. Um, the first week of the season and I, I was living at Moose Pass at the time so I, I came down to Juneau and we were going to try a new a new spot same kind of ridge complex but just uh, a couple ridges further um, up the um, inlet from from where we had been in the past just kind of an experiment and so we didn't really know the the best places to, to work up so we started working up this this uh uh shoot and we kind of we got to this spot where we couldn't go up anymore but then and i was ahead of him but i couldn't go down and so one of those things it's not like it was a 300 foot cliff but it's one of those things if you slide a couple feet you're going to start rolling and bouncing down this thing um that's probably, you know, sixty degrees. Not super steep, but you're not gonna get under control. And somewhere along the line, Ben was able to get a hold of an, an alder and kind of do this pole vault maneuver where he pulled himself up as I'm sitting there uh, clinging on to the side of this um in this chute on this whole cliff and I see his feet kind of up above his head as he's kind of pulling himself up this alder. He gets up this, this little wall, and he's able to kind of go up this little ridge line and get above me. And at this point, we're trying to figure out how I can't go up, I can't go down. And finally, he says, what, ha- what would happen if you took your your hiking stick and chipped little rock holes in the rock, and went sideways, and then get a hold of this alder and I'll grab you. And so I started chipping uh, little loose rocks away just to get these. I needed about two steps to um, to where I could reach up and grab something more solid. I did that, and uh, he, while I'm grabbing this alder, he's he's grabbing by the, the nap of my neck and, and pulling and, you know, it <laughs> finally, finally worked out of it. And it, it was, it was really hairy. It was, it was spooky. <laughs> it's one of those things that you just kind of on the, on this cliff edge, but you're okay for the moment, but you know that you can't stay there very long.
0: You're um, Okay. If you don't move,
2: because there was enough water and mud, you know, kind of sliding down. And, uh, so yeah, that was, that was probably the, the sketchiest spot that I have been on, been in on a goat hunt. There was one time I was, I had to, I was crossing
1: the brown bears
2: for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. (laughs) No question. There was one time where I was, had to go across this little slope and it, it was, once again, as has yeah, I don't know, 60 degrees or something, but it was slick vegetation. And there was just kind of a little rock rim on the top. And I kind of had to hug that. But the problem was, it, it, as I was moving across it, it started raining. So all that vegetation was getting really slick. And it's not the, and so if you, if you slipped, you're going to slide about a 120 feet but you're never going to get control again you're going to shoot over an edge at the end of your slide so <laughs> goat hunting <laughs> love it love it
1: like some you like some danger so um what else besides uh, almost dying from bears and goats what else has been dangerous for you out there on these adventures.
2: Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. Goats and
0: Go- no, no goats. Airplane is, mishaps. Yeah. I mean, you guys up in alaska goats that was is, one thing for yeah. me. <clears throat>
2: flying around. Goats a... is probably ninety-eight percent of the danger. Um, oh. And then, so, so uh, I had uh, back in the day, I um, would visit mine sites, and I would uh, so fly for work, and so my my is flights were uh definitely flights where um when I was working one time or a couple times one once going through a wall of fog could it just as easily happen you know flying out on a hunting trip went through a wall of fog can't see anything and I'm like thinking to the pilots like what the heck are you doing why didn't you turn around and then all of a sudden we go through this wall of fog and it's perfectly clear. We're seventy-five miles from Haynes. I can, and I, I don't see another cloud in the sky for the whole distance. He, he knew that there was this wall, and we were going to go through it. I didn't. <laughs> one <laughs> one time, I hit a wall of wind, and I don't know if we we either fell or shot up about twenty feet. Um, just hit this just this wall of wind, and the. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember if we that fell fell it, but it's the plane just lurched and it's like whoa. First thing we did, turned around, went home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those those were work trips, but just as easily could have happened on a you know fly out for a hunting
1: trip. Um, and Steve, you're an active uh, PBS guy. Have you participated in any of the, their um, group hunts that they do, or
2: uh, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. I I love the Professional Bowhunter Society. I've uh, been a member since uh, probably late 92 and uh, became a regular member in 1996, I think it was, and uh, been a life member for about 10 years or so now. Um, I actually organized the the three kodiak hunts uh i think they were 2015 16 and 17 we had eight to ten guys on on each of those um i've been on one membership hunt in nebraska and one in texas my my buddy uh bill graves puts on in the davis mountains of west texas awesome spot uh really rugged mountains um I went on public land? back, uh, no, he, he, uh, runs a Boy Scout program on this huge ranch in, in, in the Davis Mountains. And so he's got special access to it. So oh. he's able to take, uh, a couple groups in there. Um, Very did, cool. uh, did that, uh, salt marsh hunt that Jeff Holchin puts on, uh, last February in the, in the Savannah, Georgia area. You, it's the oh. needle grass and just grass. There's hardly any trees out there and you're just wading through the grass and there's a decent number of pigs out there. Uh, so I, yeah, I did that mm. in February. Seems like I've done another one or two along the, along the way. Um, I'm helping organizing cool. with Mark Bwig uh, Black Hills Turkey hunt, uh, for this April.
1: So cool. Well, maybe tell the folks that are listening that don't know, how that works or how you get involved, um, you know, where, where they can uh, join PBS or get involved in those type of things.
2: So, so uh, professional bow hunter society was uh, founded about uh, 1963. So 57, 58 years. And it's been a, a primarily, you know, kept, the candle lit on traditional bow hunting all through those really lean years when when uh, few people did it and uh you can uh, we we have a a, a really fun uh, biennial gathering every so every two years it moves all over the country uh, last year uh march it was in springfield missouri we just made it before the whole country went into panic mode <laughs> and like, uh, literally uh, Nick, the, the yeah before. literally and then uh to uh to 2022 it will be in reno nevada so it will uh, be within might, range for a couple guys from the west coast
1: yeah yeah so I think we'll have to make that
0: Are you there? Yeah, oh, I awesome. thought I lost you for a minute. <laughs> oh. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it being uh, close to the West Coast, uh, I, I went when it was in Portland, Oregon, many moons oh. ago. And I think when it comes to Nevada, I'll have to – were you at the Portland one?
2: Yeah, I, I just had gotten on the uh, council for the Portland one. I was a councilman for a year, and then I was uh, – I ran for vice president and was elected vice president. Um, So instead of doing a full three-year term on council, I did one year and then a two-year vice president uh,
1: term. Okay. Well, then I guarantee I was so new to the whole thing, but I'm sure I shook your hand. I went with Norm Johnson (laughs) and got introduced to a million people uh, that I did.
2: I was was a tall, good-looking guy running around. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, with with Gene on his shoulders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh,
2: that's awesome! Uh,
1: wh- why don't you share with us uh, a little bit about about your equipment? I can tell from looking at Instagram, you're a Sherwood shaft guy. As a matter of fact, Carson actually t- turned us on to you. Um, so maybe so tell us
2: yeah, a yeah, I shoot a just a, a real basic longbow, um, uh, either one I've made or um, more of the Howard Hill style American style longbow. Um, something real basic, straight grip. I have only ever shot one arrow out of a longbow, I think, that wasn't wood. There was, We were just uh, in Hawaii at my buddy's place and I just ended up with a carbon arrow one time in my hand and it's like, well, I'm going to have to run and get my arrows and it's like, well, I'll shoot this. So that was the only time I ever shot a carbon arrow out of a longbow. Um, so yeah, I have shot cedar and then I started shooting Sherwood shafts. Gosh, uh, I'm sure it's been 10 years ago and somehow I talked the boys out as um, sending me every once in a while, they'd experiment with different woods. I've gotten to shoot uh, sugar pine and larch and a few other oddities that they've made over the years. That that most people, I don't think they they kept up with that. I think pretty much they occasionally, if they find a nice larch tree, will <clears throat> will uh, make some. But uh, you know, yeah, I've used their Douglas fir for quite a few years now. That's that's pretty much all I use. Uh, I tend to shoot two blade broadheads. Um, uh, I've shot Riptex and Magnus, especially the wider Magnus one uh, and Grizzlies are my most common ones I use. I uh, recently got some Ace heads and I've been really impressed with how easily they sharpened. It kind of blew me away how um, sharp I got them with very little effort, so I, I think they're going to be a, um, probably a, a go-to head for me in the, in the future. Here,
1: I've heard that about Ace heads. Have you had good luck with the Grizzly head?
2: Uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, shot a few things, and you know, I've do I see the S cut? I'm not sure. Maybe sometimes it seems like I get a, a really great blood trail, and other times not. But that can happen with any any he head probably, other than the really huge ones so okay. I've, I I had three shoulder surgeries uh, um, so I, I didn't really regain a, some of my strength so I I've definitely gone down in bow weight I'm uh, upper 50s and so between age and three shoulder surgeries I'm uh, hovering more in that upper 40s to lowest 50s instead of mid 50s to mid 60s like like a few years back so i tend to maybe maybe uh, have used the, the thinner profile grizzlies during that time a little bit more because of that and might Steve, be overreaction i don't know
0: is there a reason you you just stick with this you know hill style longbows like instead of the, the recuse or whatever
2: Uh, I, I guess I, I, uh, shot a recurve in the early nineties for a little bit, but I don't know longbows kind of just what I do. And, um, it hasn't always been hill style. It's been, but it's been a fairly basic, you know, new moon profile bow, even if it's had a little deflex reflex in it. Um, but, but yeah, I've, I've shot the hill, hill bows a little bit more in the last oh gosh maybe five years or so
1: you've also mentioned some self bows so you've been you play with that a little bit yeah. too as well or I, I
2: i did quite a bit around um oh, or around 2000 or so i i uh, i use self bows a little bit more not all the time i just mixed them in once in a while um I've, I've, def, I've definitely hunted brown bears with them a couple times and it just didn't work where I got the shot. I was looking for when I, when I carried a cell phone.
1: Well, uh, you, you and Bob have a lot in common. He's had three or four shoulder surgeries and he's two. currently shooting a 62.
0: I've only had two.
1: Yeah. Oh, two. Yeah. Okay. I, I was thinking you had three. Um, and you're shooting a, a hill at the moment, aren't you Bob?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna try it next year. I've had one for a few years. I got a Alan Boyce Liberty bow okay. a few yep. years ago and I've always been a recurve guy, but I'm, uh, they just shoot so much quieter. I'm, I'm having some animals jumping the string problems, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot huh. the quietest bow that's made. Like, then I
2: yeah. can't go wrong,
0: right? Hope <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um,
2: when when I was uh, going through my coming off my shoulder surgeries, I I bought a pair of of uh, vintage. So I'm talking uh, late '60s recurves. I bought a a bear, tiger, cat, and a Hoyt Expert. So one one made an Earl Hoyt shop back in St. Louis back in the day, and uh, I used. They were in the kind of that. Uh, Low to mid forties um, class, so I I use those a little bit, um, kind of as I was regaining my strength and getting my shoulder flexibility back.
0: Yeah, it's not fun when you're you have shoulder issues and you're a bow hunter. That's that's the worst curse. Yeah, is.
2: yeah. It, it 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 was all all happened. I was actually, uh, you guys are in Oregon, right? Both in Oregon. Yep.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah, I was actually um, I hunted uh, Columbia blacktails a, a couple times there, but I I uh, I hunted with a a friend in uh, Washington one one year, and we would um, we we were new to the area, so we were trying to figure out where to where to go, and we'd uh, drive through this public land, and every once in a while where we saw a trail cross, we'd get out and kind of go look and see if the, it deserved a little bit more attention. And there were these small saplings and I was walking along this bank and I stepped on one and it was wrapped over the top of my boot and it caused me to trip. And I kind of like went off the edge of this bank onto my shoulder and it popped and, yes. and I, I got, it seemed like I got both of my uh, labrum in, in one, one fall. So <laughs> oh. just doing something stupid, walking along, you know, trip over two left feet. <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah. Um, you, you hunted Columbia black in Oregon.
2: Yeah. I, uh, three times and I've actually done pretty darn well. My, my buddy, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Ben Penny, he went to dental school in, in Portland. And uh, okay. the last last year of his of his dental school it's like you know i really need to go down and and come blacktails with him because he's getting ready to to graduate from dental school and so okay i'm coming down so we went down and um the, i killed a nine and a half year old buck on my first trip a couple days oh into you're it.
1: non-resident you non-resident <laughs> i'm getting tired of hearing
2: it's one of those where it's you know it's got like I think it's like a three by four, but it's, you know, kind of different on both sides, just this old warrior and he's gaunt, And, and, uh, I, uh, oh, looked at his teeth. and was stop. like, holy smoke!" So right I, there, I, Steve. I, I, Steve no, you you there's us, more to it. So the the I, I sent a tooth and He came back story. at nine and a half. And then, so oh. it's like, well, the next year it's like, I'm going to try that place again. That worked, that was, that worked pretty well. Maybe it was two years later. And, uh, couple days into it another big buck comes by so i i kill and it it, once again its teeth are worn down um so so i killed two big mature bucks in in two two trips (laughs) so i went back Uh, the next year thinking that it's like oh i got this nailed down and then uh i i had a not quite as big of a buck a decent one but it was like the last couple minutes of daylight it was pouring rain and i'm like this isn't gonna end good and i can't quite see it well enough so i i passed and that was my best opportunity on that trip so i'm i'm two for three
1: well i'm i'm really obsessed with blacktail so i gotta ask you a few questions uh (laughs) what what uh do you recall the days that you killed those bucks on, you know, before Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, like the time frame, and, yeah. and how so, did you do it? Was it?
2: So, um, I, I hunt one of the, the Melrose, I think it's called. Yep. And, and that's the late season is one of those that opens a week earlier than,
1: yep. than some of those
2: other areas. So it would mm-hmm. have been, <clears throat> both of them would have been in the, in the, In that week before those other areas opened up.
1: Okay, first week. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, And so basically, were you guys tree stand
1: hunting them, or?
2: Yeah, yeah. So basically, what what we what I have been doing is looking for for structure that where they they move through a particular area. You know, hunting, you know, looking for, looking for funnels with tree stands. Looking for funnels. Yep. Is there, isn't that the way I'm supposed to do it? Sounds good. If there's like a different that, way, I don't that. know about it. <laughs> That's how we do it. That's how we do okay. it. But I mean, okay. a
1: lot, a lot, a lot of people don't tree stand hunt them. You know, it's more common to have yeah. people rattling them or, or road hunting them or still hunting them or <laughs> trying to spot and stalk them in the oaks. So, um, I was just yeah. curious to so,
2: so the, the, the first buck I killed when I, I, uh, I shot it. And then I, you know, a little bit later I, I get down and I'm like 15 yards or so into the trail. And I look up and there's this nice three by three looking at me at 15 yards, <laughs> wow. just a thrashing between that other deer or me or something. And he thinks it's, well, oh, maybe there's a doe. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, I think, uh, it seems like uh, Norm Norm had mentioned you guys coming. Uh, Norm had mentioned you come to town and, and hunting uh, black tails back in the day. It seems like I've heard the story. Yeah,
2: I I had uh, mailed some tree stands to to Norm on my. I think it was my second trip, since, since Ben was yeah. no longer in Oregon. I I mailed a couple tree stands down and uh, um, I didn't really have yeah. much ground support anymore <laughs> in the foreign country. Yeah, so. that makes.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, we've been kind of keeping you on here for a long time. You've shared a lot of uh, awesome stories with us. Uh, You want to possibly leave the listeners with uh, maybe some, maybe some advice on uh, adventure?
2: Well, back to earlier on in our conversation where someday never comes. Uh, I've heard that story a few times where somebody was, was saying, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to wait a few years until my uh, kids get out of school or whatever. And something happens where they're no longer able to, to do that trip and uh, that they had dreamed about for so many years. So you, you got to, you got to do it while you, you can. And while you're, you know, physically able, uh, you know, like for, for me, it's like I came close to going on a water buffalo hunt in Australia before it was a common place. And now there was my shoulder issues. There's absolutely no way that I could do that anymore. That would be a, a good example of yeah. the opportunity lost, you know, so uh, take advantage of the opportunities while you can while they're there yeah, yeah i that's think that's advice. solid advice for sure
0: yeah you're a great example of taking advantage of it because you've you've done it all not hardly <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of it I I should say.
1: <laughs> well you've done you've done a lot for a, a regular uh blue collar bow hunter like ourselves you know um
2: yep.
0: you, you,
1: like you say you found those you found those uh those trips and planned ahead and made them happen. And, and I think that a lot of us uh, look at that and go, well, how do you do that? And it, it's obtainable. You, you just have to, I've, you know, with me, I've already told my wife, I'm like, Hey, thinking you start telling her now like, a couple months ahead, you know, I'm going to go to California. The,
0: I've
1: been invited to go pig hunting. And Oh yeah, that's nice, honey. I, mean, I just keep saying it until she realizes it's a thing. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's my tactic.
2: <laughs> you got you got to tell them uh, instead of asking them. <laughs> yeah, you just keep bringing it up, bringing it Damn up it. And you just kind of
1: realize that it's
2: what's happening.
1: So, uh that's
2: yeah. I don't know. be uh, of a story. I don't want to tell it on on uh over the airwaves, but uh sometime why we're, why while we're uh where we're not on the airwaves to <laughs> impl- implicate my, one of my buddies. I got a pretty good one. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll um, well, we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, say
1: goodbye to everybody uh, out there listening and we'll have to pick up the story here with, with the recorder off. <laughs> Once again, we'd like to thank all our Patreon supporters. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, our website, tradquest.com and always get the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.